0: all right turning your copy of god's word or in your devices to first timothy and chapter two we're going to be reading the first 11 verses you want to follow along in the bible that's in front of you on the pew uh that's uh that you want to read along with us uh in my translation that i'm using it's page 1051 1051 and we believe that the bible is is just as we sang it is truth to us till the end of time it is god's word to us that we live and breathe and need it and so if you don't happen to have a copy of god's word uh for your very own uh, we, we encourage you stop by our next steps desk. We have some to give to you before you leave. We would love for you to begin reading that and having that as you're at home. But if uh, uh, right now, just use the pew Bible if you don't have one, or uh, as your follow along. Last week we began to see and began in the series through First and Second Timothy. We said how rare it is. Uh, that anyone goes through these passages and and think that, oh, that's the pastor's book and I don't have to read into that. But we have said that Paul's, uh, Paul wrote that this is to speak to Christians for the foundation of truth, to be pillars of truth for all time. So this these words are for all of us. It's instructions for all of us as Christians. Last week we saw how he encouraged us to guard the gospel. That we are to reject false teachers and that and, and to do so it's interesting that we find in chapter two how what's one of the first steps that we can do uh in guarding the gospel and and rejecting false teachers well we guard our worship together and that's what we want to consider, consider today how that we might leave a legacy of worship so let me just read uh, at verse uh, chapter two verse one through 11 and let me just say, and once I get towards the end, you'll recognize that these are some very controversial verses. And so I'm going to be honest with you. I'm punting some of those till next week. But I'm not going to skip them. I'm not going to go over them. I'm not going to gloss over them. Uh, you might already, even your feelings might feel a certain way when you read it. But, but give me patience. Let's let, as we just sang, God change our hearts. May we come humbly to the text. And so I'm going to start a little bit of that towards the end. You'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I read them, okay? You'll, You'll know when I get there. Just be patient for next week as well, all right? So let's read verse 1 through 11. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all, who those are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth." Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as it is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, as we have sung, plant it deep within us. Help us to hear that even if our sinful nature or our hearts or our understanding might grind against it, Lord, instead of us reject, may we instead be conformed to it. May you, through the Spirit, help us to see the life, the truth in these words. And God, may you change us individually. And may you shape us collectively. God, may through your word, may we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we as Christians are a weird lot. We're weird in many different ways. But one of the things that we're weird in is what you're doing right now. We gather on a Sunday for an hour and a half or so, give or take. And that we, we gather to worship. That we come together in a room and we pray and we sing songs about jesus and about blood and about lambs and about all these different things and we sing these songs and praise to god and then we sit and we listen just like you're doing to somebody speaking for about 30 plus minutes or so and and then when it's all done we go home and then the next week we come do it all over again and to the world that might seem very weird and, and off-putting, that we, that we spend our time gathering in the name of Jesus to pray, sing songs, and hear a word. But we as Christians understand the value, importance, and, and, and the necessity of us gathering together as God's people to worship, because we know that it's ultimately the purpose of our lives, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God, and enjoy him forever. We know that we are to, to come and give every bit of worship to him. That we are to ascribe worth. That is what it means. To ascribe worth to God of who he is and how glory that he is. That he is the Lord of creation. That he is the, the one who brings salvation. And we do this in, in knowing is the assembled body of Christ is necessary and valuable to worship. But it's very countercultural. It's very countercultural to what we do. Honestly, it's very countercultural to many Christians in some way. Maybe you've seen the meme that is going around the Internet, and I'm going to edit it just a bit that it has the word "worship." and it, says, and it, and it, uh, it names out this particular area, but I think that it says this to uh, worship. To most of the world, the church gathers and says we will worship even if we die you know for most of the world today in afghanistan we have christians going to gather that if they gather that it will mean that they could possibly die in china uh, all throughout the world most of the world gather in their own peril but the meme goes on to say church in america we will gather if there's not a cookout Or not sports or a birthday party or if it's a nice day or maybe if it's too rainy or if I'm feeling a little bit bad or uh, if there's something better that comes up. You know, it's meant to be funny, but in a lot of ways it stings, doesn't it? Because a lot of times if we understand and continue to see worship the way that we do in some ways, that we are going to leave a legacy To the next generation that worship is optional not vital but we know that it must be Uh, Matt Merker in his book corporate worship says this he observes he says the church in worship is the various some bodies of the congregation unite into one body to receive and share the ministry of the word and the spirit builds them up together into maturity Corporate worship is a foretaste of the new creation where God's people will forever minister to one another in perfect love. In each element of the service, we prepare one another for eternity. And this is what we've done, even to this point, as we've prayed together and we've sang together, we've glorified God together, we've glorified the Son. When Paul writes to Timothy here in these verses, he we maintain what we learned last week, that Paul continues to say, reject the false teachings. Know what the true gospel is. Guard the gospel. Make sure that it is pure, that it is not of works, and it's not by, by mandate, it is not by un- misunderstanding the law. Paul is saying that we must be pillars and foundation of the truth. And the first thing that he tells the church to do is that he mentions then how when we gather, we guard the gospel in these ways. That when we gather rightly, we are guarding ourselves from false teaching, from false gospels, as we worship together. And so when we worship is rightly, then we understand we are doing these things. So how do we do it? When this passage, as Paul writes to Timothy to guard our worship, we find four characteristics that our worship must include. Four characteristics our worship must include. If you're writing down at home or you're following along in notes, number one, our worship should include prayer for all people. Our worship should include prayer for all people. He says, first of all, then I urge that prayers and petitions, sorry, petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Paul instructs that it is our first importance as we gather to pray. Now think about that. When we mostly plan or think We don't necessarily always put prayer at the first of the list. But Paul says this is what we should be doing. We should be praying. We should be interceding for other people. We should be praying for them, putting up petitions to God. We should also be thankful in our prayers that when we do that and we gather, there is no greater thing for us to do as God's gathered people than to pray. And today, as you heard, as, as Brother uh, Allen prayed, we did those things. And, and our hope is that you prayed along collectively together for that. You know, I, I can't help but understand and be reminded that we as Christians ought to know that prayer is a powerful tool in the hands of God's people that we understand that prayer moves God and moves according to his will and that what we must be praying and brothers and sisters I know that she doesn't want this attention but this attention is to God that we gathered for Almost eight months now praying, pleading, interceding, going to God on behalf of Wanda Upchurch. And praise God for what he's done. Let's praise God. I'm not going to point you out, Wanda, but they know you're here. But we want you to know that we see the power of God to do miracles and to work through the prayers of his people. And if we don't have prayer when we gather, we have said we have no use for you, God. We have no use for what you can do through us. And God, we are so thankful as we come together to pray for that opportunity And we know that coming to Christ, why do we do this? Because we know that there is a spiritual realm that is working, that is outside what the world sees. That we understand that God is at work against the powers of evil and Satan and of his minions. And so we know when we call upon the name of God, that he is at work. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes... For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war against the flesh since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments. When we pray, we are using and wielding the weapons of the Spirit and we should use them as we pray. I've realized as I was talking that some of you, there's so many new people here. This is praise God. There's a lot of new people here that you weren't here praying for Wanda. Wanda was on a ventilator for a long time with COVID. There were many close calls. There were many days that we prayed together just pleading for God to do a work. That we didn't know if she was going to have the strength to come, survive, or continue. Brothers and sisters, her presence is the act of a mighty God. Let's praise God this morning. But what does Paul say? That for all people, we're to pray for everybody. Believers, unbelievers, for, for people as we did today of other countries, for, for people that we don't know about, for people we know well, God, God, Paul is writing and God is speaking that we should be praying for everyone. He goes even further to say, even for those in authority. Brothers and sisters, this may be some of the hardest, this might be the hardest commandment that we have to do some days, is to pray for our leaders, amen? It is hard. But God's word says you are different than the world. You even love your enemies. And that we are called to pray for those who are even an authority, kings. Now, I mean, think about the context in which Paul is writing this. This is, this is Paul writing in a day in the Roman Empire when Nero was in charge and was killing Christians. Paul says, pray for him. Pray for him, for God to move in his life so that we can live in peaceful and gentle ways. This is an example to us that we would pray and that we would not see the world as the world does politically. That no matter who's in the the White House, no matter who's in Frankfurt, no matter who's on our city council, that we pray for them. and Pray for God's word to intercede in their heart and for God's will to be done. That when we gather that we are to pray that if we don't pray then we are communicating that we don't depend on God at all this is the very reason over the last few years we've including included more time for prayer in our services you know when brother Allen comes up here to pray it is not because uh, just by happenstance that There's a lot of planning that goes into what we pray. We we pray for our leaders and we pray for our missionaries and we pray for events that are going on in the world. We pray for ourselves. And and as he prayed today, he prayed for one of our values. And every week it's a different value because why? We are praying for God to put values in our lives that are different than the world. That is today he prayed for sacrificial giving. Why? Because the world wants to keep, right? Right. We want to keep to become stronger. But the, the Bible says that we are more free when we give. So we want God to move in our hearts that we are free givers. In other weeks, he'll pray for us to be more biblically faithful. He'll pray for us to say that we will be more evangelistic in what we do, that we'll, we will do things in more unity. There are many values that we go through and that that Alan prays for us. Therefore, we pray strategically importantly and biblically because Paul says that's what we ought to do Mark Dever even instructs and says that we should devote so much time in prayer in church that nominal Christians will grow bored talking to the God they only pretend to know brothers and sisters we need to pray consider and ask yourselves are you regularly praying, not just individually, but with others as you gather? In your life groups, is prayer a passing fancy or is it commitment to pray together? If you want to pray, are you committed to praying together when you join together or just rush through it, get your, get your, uh, your, your prayer list and hope that somebody prays later on? Brothers and sisters, we pray together because we are God's people. And we need to pray for others in the room. And I know that I need other people in the room to pray and me to hear that they're praying for me. So are you spending time in prayer? Brothers and sisters, maybe you don't have a commitment on Sunday mornings. Well, I'm telling you, there's a great time of prayer that goes on at 915 15. I strongly encourage you, if you can, to come and spend time regularly praying to God, praying for yourselves, praying for the church, and praying for the world. When we gather, we need to pray. What would change in your life, in your life group, in your home, in our communities, if we considered prayer more vital? When we gather, brothers and sisters, we must pray. Number two, our worship should proclaim proclaim the salvation found in Christ. Our worship should proclaim the salvation found in Christ. Verse three through seven says this, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Brothers and sisters, the focus of our time together must be Christ and must be a focus on him. Because when we gather we collectively are a testimony of what he's done. When we come and we do the strange things that we do, we're doing it as a testimony to believe that the gospel and Christ has done something in us, that we are proclaiming in our very singing and gathering that God is the one who saves. Isaiah 45, 21 through 22 says, there is no other God but me. A righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Brothers, when that and sisters, that is when we gather, that is our message. Turn to this God who sent his Son, Jesus Christ. So, how did he save? Well, we see in verse 5 that there was a mediator sent. As Steve sang and as we hummed along or sang along, depending upon how you caught on to the song, we understood that there is one mediator, Jesus, who gave himself for us. That Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross. And three days later, God rose him to life. And because of this, God says, I have power over death. Through my son Jesus, if you would just believe and repent, you can be forgiven and eternally saved. This is the work of Jesus, the mediator who will stand between us and God. That one day at the judgment seat of Christ, that as we come to the the God of the universe and he says, Why must you be saved? that Jesus will say, I have died for them. I've died for you, and I've died for you, and I've died for you. It is this Jesus who has taken on the wrath and penalty of our sins. And in, in this and through this, we know that Christ is the mediator bringing us to God. And the good news is that we proclaim this good news for ourselves and for each other. And for the world to believe. As we know this, this is also the foundation of our prayer, right? He said to pray. How can we pray? How can we have confidence in the prayers that we just prayed? Because we have a mediator who has brought us to God. That we have confidence he hears our prayers. That there is no sin that separates because we can go straight to him. But also, brothers and sisters, we have a Savior who, it says, is sitting by the throne praying and pleading on our behalf because he knows what our sorrows are he's been there he knows our pains he knows what we're going through and christ is mediating on our behalf we know that we have a savior pleading for us but let us not forget in verse 7 that as we trust in this truth of the mediator in verse 7 Paul says that we should be heralds of this mediator what is a herald well this is not something we do because now we have radio tv and internet and Texts and you know, all sorts of different ways to get words out. We can send them out quick and get the word out. But in those days, a herald would walk along the streets and shout out the news of the ancient times that the governor has now declared this, or the emperor is now saying this. This is the new law. Hey, this war has happened and we have won this battle. These heralds have taken and proclaimed the news. Well, brothers and sisters, Paul has said, I Paul have been given this good news. I am a herald, and therefore brothers and sisters, us like him should be heralds of this good news. This good news that if someone would just repent and believe that they, they can be forgiven. This is good news for us to to declare because we know that God is faithful to forgive. We know that God is patient. We know God is moving. We know God is saving. And therefore, as Romans 10 tells us, there must be people who the feet of the good news of the gospel is glorious because we proclaim a truth to be heard that God can save. Charles Spurgeon observed in this text, if the the Lord leads a man to the knowledge of his truth, he perceives that though his sins are as scarlet, they will be as wool. And though they are red like crimson, they will be white as snow. That precious doctrine of substitution comes in that Christ stood in the place of the sinner. Now I perceive that he does not want my goodness, but my badness. He does not need my righteousness, but my unrighteousness. For he came to save the ungodly and to redeem his people from their sin. Isn't that good news? We get to proclaim this as we gather to each other. That is why our songs speak about Jesus. That is why our prayers are through Christ. That is why the word of Christ must be proclaimed. And the gospel as we gather in just a few minutes that we will gather to the Lord's table is a display of what Christ has done through us. And as we do this, we are proclaiming this truth until he comes. And you know, it also gives you a really quick opportunity to share the gospel this week. I mean, it is a, it, one of the things I know that's hardest is that when we try to get our conversation to a gospel, right, or to a spiritual conversation, you know, that's one of the hardest things people kind of say, well, how do I get clunky? You know, hey, hey, Fred, how was, how was the drive over here? Great. Well, let me just tell you about jesus you know we we don't know how we're to to kind of transition that way well maybe you could talk like this we'll say hey fred how was your weekend what did you do well i uh, you know saturday we went to the soccer game and we we went over to a, a new place over in cincinnati and ate and it was great and then sunday we got together with family and we did this and man fred it sounds like you had a great weekend can i tell you about my weekend yeah, well, well, yeah, well, Saturday, we had a soccer game too. My son had a soccer game. We went there and then we had a barbecue that night and we had some good food. And then, and then Sunday, we went to church. And man, I tell you what, boy, we had a sweet time of fellowship. Hey, hey, Fred, do you go to church anywhere? Hey, do you, do you and your family get to go to church? Well, can I tell you the reason why I go to church? And then I get to tell him about this wonderful mediator, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we gather that we proclaim Jesus, but we can use our opportunity to proclaim to the world the good news that Christ has stood in our place and that we can worship him till he comes again. Third, we our worship should display our unity with each other. Verse 8 says... Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Now, here, we should always, when we read our Bibles, and verse 8, it says, therefore. So we always must ask this question. Very tricky. What's the therefore there for? Okay? Why is it there? What is it pointing to? What is it connecting to? Well, verse 8 is actually an overflow of the first seven verses. It is to say this. It is to say that the overflow of people who have gathered together to pray and focus on Jesus result in the characteristics of worship that display in unity, love, and forgiveness. So let me, let me say that again. The outflow of the people who have prayed together, who have focused on Jesus together, results in characteristics of worship that display in unity, love, and forgiveness. So this is what's happening. In, in that particular thing, we're going to learn over this book about the false teachers and about how, they were, how the false teachers were then affecting their lives together in the church. We're going to look at all that. But obviously what was happening was there was some arguing going on. I can't imagine any arguing going on in a church. I mean, oh, man, what was going on back then? Can you, okay, does that happen still? I mean, okay, so yeah, it does. Okay, so Paul is saying that when we come together, men should not raise their hands in worship or should not worship and pray and argue and be in anger. You see, in Ephesus, the, the impact of the false teachers were they were becoming angry with one another and fighting over this and fighting over that. And Paul says that when we gather, we should do so without anger or argument. This brings about something that happens in all of the New Testament. That when we come to worship, we should come in unity. Because we of people of love who have received the forgiveness from the mediator, who are willing to pray for one another, then must extend love and forgiveness to each other. And when we gather, there should be nothing in between us. There should be nothing that we aren't willing to. To work through. As Paul says in Corinthians, that we should not come to the Lord's table if we have not forgiven one another and not rightly restored relationship. Jesus himself said in Matthew So if you are offering a gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and come and offer your gift. Brothers and sisters, what Jesus, what Paul is telling us, and what we're seeing here at work at the Church of Ephesus, Paul is reminding us that we must be restoring relationship before we come to worship, because our unity expresses what we believe, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about prayer. And when we cannot proclaim with our lips uh, that we have been forgiven and restored in Christ and then practically be in separation from brothers and sisters in anger, we are rejecting the truth of the gospel. And it is direct opposition of the truth we've just proclaimed. If we have said we are forgiven, we must forgive others and love others, especially as we gather. Let me ask you today, Is there a relationship that you need to have restored? As Paul would say, especially in the household of faith, that we must restore relationships. Is there something that you know you have done to someone else that you need to humble yourself as Christ and ask for forgiveness? Is there something that you know that someone else has done are you allowing it to fester? Are you allowing it to grow? Instead, shouldn't you not go and extend the same forgiveness you have been given? Brothers and sisters, if we don't, we are liars. And This becomes our habit. If we brush off the little things, the little disagreements, the little arguments, the little tiffs and we just ignore it we cover it over and let it simmer brothers and sisters that is danger to the church and we've set up this generation and the next generation of believers to go down a path of unforgiveness and unloving nature that will blow up and Paul is warning us that we must be people of faith that seek forgiveness and grant forgiveness brothers and sisters we need to be careful how we speak and love one another and can i tell you this is just something that i've noticed in churches not just hebrew and baptists but in my previous church and the church down the road and the church across the street when i meet with pastors is it's not always the things that are the most vocal That needs to be dealt with. But what happens now is people say, well, I know that I shouldn't be offensive, so I'm not going to speak out loud these things to the person who can change the problem. You know, I can't, I won't go uh, to Christie because I have a question about Bible school. I'm going to just I don't wanna be a problem maker. I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. So I'm not gonna do that. One, you've already said, I'm not gonna do what scripture tells me to do, right? Go to that person and deal with it. But sometimes, sometimes, we do the other thing and we go tell five or six different people who have nothing to do with the, in this case, children's ministry. Not picking on you, Christy, but that's an easy example. We go talk to them. Boy, you know, that Bible school, you know, that snack, I tell you what, I mean, good gracious, can you believe what we're feeding our kids? You you tell five or six different people, and we could have been done. Hey, Christy, why did y'all serve those snacks in Bible school? What, What were they? I heard that they were this. And Christy answers your questions. Oh, I misunderstood that. I'm sorry. Thank you for clearing that up for me. Problem solved. Instead of disunity happening. A little leaven ruins the whole batch, right? Brothers and sisters, you need to follow what the word says. God knows what we need. If there's something that needs to go on, that you have something with your life group leader or a pastor or a ministry, or go to that person. Love them enough to talk to them about it. This is the way of Christ. And we must be cautious because it affects our worship together. And the Bible says we must reflect the unity that is in Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is disunity that is against the spirit of Christ. And in we gather, we must unify in the love of Christ. Fourth and finally... Our worship should promote God, not ourselves. So let me quickly go here because I'm already running late on time. Here is the thing that I was warning you about at the beginning. Verse 9. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk about it a little bit today. We're going to talk about it a little bit more next week. But verse 9, Also the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works that is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. Now, First of all, we need to understand the context and many people will read these verses and they'll go through it and they blow it up and they get mad and they either reject Christianity or they get in arguments and they read through this and they read it at a first glance and then they, they, they get upset or they misinterpret it. But I believe if you actually slowly and faithfully read the Bible, it is, there is not much that we that that we can argue over here we can understand it clearly first of all we need to remember that context is key in all verses we can't just take a verse out of the bible because when we do we are taking it out of what its intent and meaning is we need to understand it in the in the uh, context of its paragraph of the chapter of the book and then also in the entire new testament and in the bible we need to understand how it connects and therefore as paul here speaks to a specific situation in which women were dressing and to bring attention to themselves he asked and shared and declared that we must guard worship so that it is not about us now remember that hear that when Paul was speaking to a specific situation in the gathered worship, he is speaking to help us understand that worship is not about us. Paul says here in these words that we should, or women should dress in modesty with good sense, meaning kind of common sense and and wisdom with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearl, and expensive apparel. Now, let me just take it off the table. If you're wearing pearls here today, you don't have to take, throw them away. That, that's not what it's talking about. If you had your hair up today, you don't have to take it down. That is not what Paul is saying. And many people read through these contexts and say, well, Paul is just a sexist pig and that he is just trying to tell women how to dress. Or others might even read to say, look, well, this is a cultural argument that Paul's making, so the rest of the stuff in the chapter that he talks about, submission, we don't have to listen to. Well, let me just say, neither of those are true. And if we carefully understand the instruction and context, we will see that a cultural illustration that Paul is making can help us see a universal truth and they don't necessarily have to negate one another. The purpose here that that women were coming in elaborate hairstyles, gold, and fine dress to get attention. You don't have time to do this, but over in chapter six, you will see that Paul speaks to the rich people who were gaining attention to themselves and bringing a lot of context to the church and and bringing disunity. And and Paul is addressing this to say, You women who are doing this are not putting forth the purpose of Christ. You are not making it about him. You're making it about himself, about yourselves. So the instruction here is to help women in this case, but all of us to think through how we dress and how we present ourselves. Is it making much of God or making much of ourselves? You see, when we read these texts, what does Paul go on to say there in verse 10? He says, but with good works, it is proper for women who profess to worship God. See, Paul is saying that when we gather, the most important thing is not that you're wearing Gucci or Jordans, is that you're coming and that you're proclaiming the fruits of the Spirit that you are saying, showing by your life that you are kind and gentle and loving and forgiving and all these things, that is a life that glorifies God. Now in the practical sense, yes. Are there things that, that women as well as men should think through when they listen to the, get dressed to come to church? Of course, we think about ways that we, we should be in decency with good sense that we are dressing in wisdom as to not distract. Well, some of us, uh, some of us quickly, our mind goes to seductive reasons, but there could be other ways that you come to church reading, you know, wearing something out of America's next top model, shas- sashaying down the aisles and look at me and look what I'm wearing today. That would be a bad way to do that as well. But, but Goodness gracious, men as well. I mean, there's a we joke all the time about this, and we see online that this this kind of new wave of worship leaders and wearing skinny jeans. And, and you know, we think about if we, we wear a certain thing to make us look cool, we should ask God to break this in our hearts, male or female. Whatever we come to is not about ourselves, but about Christ. So we should make sure that we think of ourselves. In verse 11, everybody goes to runs to this. Well, women should be quiet. Don't be letting them women folk talk. But what it's saying is that women should learn quietly with submission. Paul's saying instead of someone who comes and is distracting from the worship and arguing about the false teachers and dressing in a way to get attention, they should be coming quietly in a spirit to learn. Brothers and sisters, isn't that the attitude we all should have? That we come with humility to worship, to listen to God's word, to be changed. So if we use our clothes, our attitudes, or our words in worship to gain attention to ourselves, we've lost the point of worship. We've turned it upside down that worship is about us and not Him. Brothers and sisters, we must guard our hearts, the way that we live, the way that we present ourselves, that we come to worship, that it's all about Him. Brothers and sisters, as we do that, we must, as we sing, as we dress, and as we talk, that we can say what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your life before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. Father in heaven. That's what we should do when we worship. So, brothers and sisters, as we guard our worship, or guard our time, and guard the gospel, we need to make sure our worship includes these things. So, today, brother and sister, you must think and consider how your individual worship intertwines with everybody else. Is your worship prayerful? Is it focused on Christ? Are you bringing unity? Are you bringing attention to yourself or to God. With what legacy will you leave in a worship that is focused on God and his gospel? An unbeliever, I pray today that as you have seen this mediator and you've heard Christ saying about that you've seen us proclaim the good news of Jesus that you could see and hear that you are never too far away from God that as believers gather to worship, that you can now be among the worshipers if you would just repent and believe today. That if you would just trust in Christ, that the mediator who gave his life gives it for you, that you might be saved. Brothers and sisters, if you are here today, trust on Christ, trust in him, That we might all together, when we gather on the Lord's day, and as we gather in the throngs of believers who have been saved through eternity, that we will worship him and him alone in spirit and truth forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these instructions to characterize our worship, to help us gather and guard ourselves and, Lord, I pray that as we do so, Lord, that you would bring and establish in us a spirit of unity, of hope, of declaration of the gospel, that, Lord, that everything we do and everything we partake in points to you. And That, Lord, today, that if there's someone here or at home that needs to be saved, Lord, you would intervene, that you would change their hearts. And today they would be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.